Welcome to the Nobody Told Me That podcast. My name is Teresa Duncan, and my goal is to share information that you probably weren't thinking about. I love preparing my friends for situations that may come completely out of the blue. I also want to share with you many of the tidbits I picked up over the years. If you absolutely have to tune out before the end of the show, make sure you check out the show notes for more details and information on today's topic. And thank you so much for making me a part of your day. We are back with another edition of Nobody Told Me That, and we're continuing on with Teresa's friends visit the show. And I have Samir Basin with me from Care Credit. Hey, how are you? Hello, hello, hello. So glad to be here. So glad to see you. I know we can, I get to see you, so that's, I'll take that as a positive. Not everybody needs to see these gray hairs, Samir, I'm just saying. But you are the VP of Alliances over at Care Credit. You've been there for about 15 years, and then you were with Densply before then as an endo rep. So you've been in all sorts of places, haven't you? I have. I've gotten to see from the inside of the operatory to the outside of the office and everything in between. Yes, uh, and the trade shows. And so the other unofficial title that you have is Teresa's Handler. That's how all of my contacts at the meetings uh, know you. They'll say, do I need to talk to your handler? And I'll say, of course you do. You have to. So, uh, and I thank you for all of that. Um, Thank you for that title. (laughs) (laughs) My husband thinks it's amusing, actually. He thinks it's great. Here's the other part of it, people. You all know that most of my classes are sponsored by Care Credit. I've had a relationship with them almost since the very beginning. You were my second uh, sponsor ever in the dental field. 13 some years ago. Um, shout out to Phillips for taking a chance on me a long time ago. And then shout out to K- Bet for Bet Johnson for taking the second chance on me. But this is not a care credit commercial because I respect y'all too much to do that to you. The reason I wanted Samir to come on is because he's got some amazing insight into our industry. And I am all about pulling back the curtain so that you guys can see what's going on behind the scenes. I know a lot of you newbies were not around when we had the recession way back in 2008, 2009. Uh, We're going to talk a little bit about things we learned from there. We're going to talk a little bit about consumer behavior. And if you decide to use care credit, awesome. If you're already using it, even better. But if you decide, I don't need it, I don't, it doesn't matter. Listen to this conversation because you will learn something and you just can't help but like my handler. Right, Samir? (laughs) I hope so. I hope you like me as much as you do. It's been an awesome, awesome ride the last 18 years or so in in this amazing profession that you and I get to work and serve and, and talk and be around. It's it's not, I'm so glad you said it's not a care credit dog and pony show. It's more about mm-hmm. how can we help our patients? You and I and our doctors get to do what we get to do for that one person. That right. We call them cardholders. They are known as patients in the dental office. So if we can keep our focus to that, and, and hopefully I get to share some of that, of what I've seen over the period of time in my experience, in my opinion, and helping that one more patient. Okay, so let's talk about that. Our industry has changed a lot since this little virus thingy that they keep talking about has popped up. (laughs) I just don't want to talk about it. Here's what I'm seeing is we have a whole bunch of people just moving around, you know, reps moved around, reps were let go, reps were retained, office managers let go, offices shut down, offices open, bought, acquired. This has been probably one of the more fluid times that I remember in dentistry. The recession piece back in 2008, 2009, 2010, we just saw a lot of things closing and that was really sad. But here we're seeing reps all over. And the one thing I want to get out, first of all, is that throughout the lockdown, your reps actually moved onto the phones. Can we talk about that for a second? Because they must be like, I'm so glad to get back into the offices. They were the ones actually entering the phone. So you put them on the front line. Yeah, I mean, and, and that's one very cool thing about what we have the flexibility and we have the resources to where our reps were, you know, rolled up their sleeves and like, it's all about serving, you know, and getting them on. But yes, if I was to ask them today what the option, now that they are back out into the field uh, after 18 months, they were scratching to get out. They were itching <laughs> to get out. They just could not. These are the guys and girls who, 
were hired to be outside. That's their personality. They love being outside, talking to the doctors, talking to their teens, doing the trainings. Now we just had them doing the conversations over the phone. Let's even take them out. I mean, I'm talking people like everybody that's probably listening to this call. Yes, in the beginning, it was nice being at the house and your family and everything is great. And I love my family too. But you get to a point where it's like, I got to see people. I got to see more people. I got to be back out with my friends. So yes, it was like even more just highlighted for them. Yeah, they did that for several, several, several months, just doing online, over the phone, supporting, especially when the offices were closed, they couldn't really do anything, but they even helped some of our retail side of our business for our parent company, customers that were calling in. So they even took some of those calls. That was very impressive for how we've changed really quickly. But when it came back to doing the virtual meetings and virtual calls and virtual trainings, and they did that and it met the need of the time. And I think it was even, we were starting to hear from our demo office. I would rather have this conversation face-to-face. It was was an interesting time. We learned a lot. We missed our reps for sure. I'm really sad. Our area, we lost Julie Dugan. Shout out to Julie. She's not listening because she's, I don't even think she's in dental anymore. So, you know. Oh my gosh. We have a new one, Ashley. She's great. There probably are people who don't know uh, who their rep is or if they have the same rep. And so I urge you to to reach out to Care Credit, use the line. What I love about the fact that you put them on the front lines is when you talk with offices, one of the best things is to cross-train. Sometimes the clinical team members don't know what these questions are that we get. Of course, the front office sometimes doesn't understand the questions in the back that are mostly centered around pain, convenience, and all of that. So I think it's great that they got a taste of the other side of the Care Credit application. Kudos to your company. That's always been the key, you know. Again, it's more about giving that information, making that information digestible for that patient. So it, it's mm-hmm. got to be as a, as a one unit. Yes, we got to experience that. We did some of it in the past, you know, the, working with clinical teams and the admin team. The, the last 18 months gave us a good insight into both. So with all these new people, there's an attestation that they have to have to be able to use care credit in the office. And what I have heard talking to people brand new, you know, during consultations, they were unaware of this completely. How are you all messaging these offices to remind them? And how do you keep track of new people that may be using it that are not necessarily aware of what's going on? So you mean the new people at the, at the dental office? Say an office at, uh, attested right before the lockdown. Yeah. And then that person's gone. And the people that are new, can they go in and do another attestation? Or yeah. are they locked out for a year? How does that work? It is all about making sure that they, irrespective of how many or who is there. So we still send out marketing information. We still have our inside phone PDS team, what we call a practice development services team. They are, are still reaching out to the offices, the PDMs, the rep, they reach out to you. But no, you are not limited to making sure that you're certified and, and have the information. Like you said, Teresa, you know, we've had some changes in how the geographies were realigned. Uh, so we may have a new rep. So what I can do is, and I'm not sure if it's possible, I'd be happy to give like a phone number where somebody, the office can text that number and just ask for who the rep is. And we'll be more than happy to connect them with their rep. That'd be great because that would at least answer the question of whether or not new managers coming in, this is what I'm hearing. I don't know what I'm missing because they just haven't been in that office and they can't locate certain vendor contracts and all of that in our industry. Everybody's changing things up. The number one thing I've been hearing is we need to tighten up our financial criteria because we were broke and didn't know it or, you know, they didn't have enough cash flow. The follow up question that I would have is, well, tell me what you offer as far as financing. Tell me your financial system. Answer A is usually, what do you mean? And that's fine. We walk them through that. Answer B is, well, I have a lot of insurances. I try to collect, but I don't. And we we wanted to use a third-party financing, but the cut's too much. And there's usually not a solid system set in place. Are you seeing an uptick in interest with people leaving plans or just wanting to be more flexible with how they collect money? What are you seeing since the lockdown? Yeah. So actually a little bit of both. What I want everybody to understand is, yes, there is a pandemic. Yes, people's lives have changed drastically. Yes, there have been some influx of things that people were not expecting. Still, people are living and they are still doing things that they want to do. The question becomes, if you really sit back and think about it, why did you choose this and not that? You know, why did you do this and not that? Why, why did you think about buying a zero gravity chair, which I just did? 
uh, versus doing a $3,000 treatment plan, right? So it's what is it that made them, it's the same dollar amount I'm looking at, but why one over the other? So one thing that we did see is, think about it, when everybody's at home and the employment is all over the place, we don't know what's going to happen. People tend to hold on to their cash. Yes. Uh, it's just a human behavior. They want to hold on to their cash. They try not to spend a lot of money where they don't think on their credit card because, gosh, what if being in the house, I am noticing some things need to be changed and need to be fixed and all that. The discretionary income is about just that. So this is where we start to see a, a good influx of, of interest and request for care credit patient financing is to the patients are interested in, hey, I don't want to use my card. I don't want to use my cash. I still do believe in my oral health. I still believe in my pet health. I still believe in my eyesight. I still want to do that, but I want to keep those separate so that I can use my credit cards or I can use my cash for when it's a home emergency. That's something I was not planning, but this I can still keep it separate, especially because there's a promotion around the six months deferred interest or 12 months deferred interest, whatever the office right. offers. So we've seen actually a good, the, the change in numbers. From a patient standpoint, we're seeing a lot more patients applying even on their own. But we also have seen, uh, to your point, like one of some of the offices started to realize, you know what, we did not have the amount of cash flow that we did and we didn't realize we're going to close for two months or three months. Yeah. The offices who were utilizing patient financing, whether it was CareFight or somebody else, they were in a decent spot. They had the payments still coming in because patients could still make payments. Uh, mm -hmm. Our patients were still making payments to their doctors via online, even though they were not going into the office and the offices were closed. And if there were payments were due. So, so there was still cash coming in. So the offices, we've seen a change in that too. Offices who were not doing a lot or not utilizing or, or care credit was more of a product to them versus part of the process. We're starting to see a little bit of shift in that as well. The fact that a lot of offices see third-party financing as something that they could offer if they think about it. If, yeah. you know, if, if they happen to look over and see the brochure while they're talking to a patient, then they're like, oh, by the way, we've got this. Yeah. You're right. Once it becomes a part of the actual system and it becomes part of their decision tree, like when you teach your new person, you teach them the order to go in. I mean, first of all, I, I'm not going to offer care credit right away because I'm going to say, hey, can you pay the bill? Can you just write me a big fat check or set, give me your credit card? Like that's ideal, right? But yeah. then, you know, there's got to be a place for a third party down the line, but you're not going to get it unless you don't ask for it. That's always like the goal. To me, that's the golden rule my mom always taught me. One other thing I wanted to tell you, I've been meaning to tell you this on our regular calls, but I keep forgetting, is I've seen another wall that's been coming down before the lockdown when an office offered in-office membership. Yeah. in-house savings plan, there was a lot of resistance to offering third-party financing mm -hmm. yeah. along with that because they were like, well, I'm already giving 15% off or 20% or 20, 25. First of all, I, I don't think it should be higher than 15 at all. That's like maximum. Uh, but I understand some offices were like at 25%. So why would I do 25% and then care credit is going to be an extra, you know, 10, whatever, you know, whatever number they throw out. Why would I do that? I, you know, I'm already doing that with insurance and the reason why that wall has crumbled is because people finally looked at the amounts of the write-offs with insurance and realized it wasn't 28%, it wasn't 25 yeah. it was definitely up by 30 40%. And they were like, oh, holy cow. So yeah. I don't think they realized the actual extent of the amount they were already discounting. And I'm not saying, hey, let's go back up to 40%. That's not what yeah. I'm saying. But there's this perception that there was no wiggle room. There absolutely is. I'm happy to report that when I have calls with offices that are getting off plans and they want to implement membership plans and I say, okay, well, how does third party work with this? There's like zero, like, well, we don't want to do that, which is exactly what was happening a lot before yeah. the lockdown. And we've actually seen, to your point, and I'm, and I'm sure you have too, this is literally your world. We've seen a huge increase in, in office plans. Explosions. Um, it's been something, and I've been with the company 15 years, and in my experience, this is not a question that we don't hear very often. I mean, I hear it all day, every day and twice on Sundays about your fees and I don't want to offer because of the fees, because I think the, the limitation is in a big number, in a big scheme of things, immediately most people that I've had a conversation with or we've talked, the way they look at it as my, my overhead is already 65, 70%. And now you want me to add another 10%. So instead of me taking home 
from a 70 to 30 percent. Now I'm taking 20 percent home. That's not how the math works. No, <laughs> it, it's not this just that simple. Um, it actually is that simple, except for that's not how the math works out. Mm -hmm. It's mm -hmm. it's all it's in the increase of the dollar amount. It's the increase of the treatment. And the best way for anyone to figure out whether they should offer patient financing in their practice or not is just to take a quick look at their diagnosis and unscheduled report. Ah, that's so let's explore that. When you see a lot on that report, because let's be honest, it's going to be a packed report. It's going to be a lot. You're saying by looking at that, you could be clearing that report if you offered more options. Is that where you're going with that? That's exactly where I'm going with it. Because numbers don't lie, but they also tell a story, right? What I have seen, at least in my experience, one doctor, one hygienist office, on an average, has close to $700,000 to a million dollars in diagnosis and unscheduled sitting on the books. That's amazing. Now, now let's step back and peel this onion a little bit more. These are the patients that have come to your practice. So you have some semblance of relationship. They may or may not have benefits or insurance. They may or may not have credit cards. They need the treatment because you've diagnosed it sitting on the book. Why are they still sitting on the books? Why are they not moving forward? Now, I'm going to go ultra conservative and say, okay, so you have about a million dollars sitting in diagnosed and unscheduled. These are your patients. These are the treatments that are waiting to happen. Uh -huh. What if, if you had offered patient financing to these patients, what if you were only able to recoup, let's say, like I said, ultra conservative, 20% of that. Would $200,000 off of that million dollars make a difference in your bottom line? Yes, you yeah. may have had to pay like 10% of that. Okay, so now you're 190,000. Oh, it's unacceptable. I can't do that. I know. It's <laughs> how can you? But that's where it all kind of comes down to. So the more often than not, at least in my, what I have seen, the perception is I have 90% case acceptance. I have no problems. Patients pay cash. Unless you are absolutely and exclusively dealing with the top 1% of the U.S. tax bracket, then yes, you may have a case. Majority yeah. of the times that's not. And here's where I would go with it, even one step further. Every office, it doesn't matter whether which part of town you are in, what kind of demographics, which city or, or rural area you're in. Pretty much, I would say every office has a group of patients who will pay you cash. Every time they walk in, they'll pay you cash. It doesn't matter what it is. Mm -hmm. Then there's other side. The, the extreme opposite of the other side of that group is you have patients who would not do anything, even if you were to do it for free. Right. Okay. For patient financing or for care credit, those are not the extreme group of people we are here to help. I'm talking about the great middle. Mm -hmm. That's where the patients are looking for an option. They may not tell you all the time that they're looking for an option, but I want you to think about any retailer that you walk into, a mattress store, a furniture store, or a house, or a car. does not matter where you go. We have been trained to think in monthly payments. Ah. They may not say anything to you, Teresa, of what is my monthly payment, but that's what we've programmed to. So for you to come and tell me my out-of-pocket is $3,000 or $1,800 or in some cases, $800. Mm -hmm. To you as a practice may not be a large amount because you talk about eight, five, 10, 15, $20,000 cases, but to a patient, it is a large amount. I think it was a couple of years ago and I, I can always send you those articles. Uh, I think CNBC and Forbes had it where it said like 63% of the U.S. population, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing, so don't quote me exactly on it, cannot write a check for a thousand dollars, have not, don't have money for a thousand dollar emergencies. I believe that. I totally so believe that. That's the majority of your patient. Then what is stopping you from at least giving them the option? At least I would like as a patient, mm -hmm. I would like for you to give me the option, just like a doctor would usually say, you know what, Samir, this is what I'm looking at in your mouth, and this is what we need to do, and this is what we can do. Give me all the options. I have never had, thankfully, any dentist tell me, like, you know what, you have so much going on, but it looks like you should only do this tooth right now, right? So <laughs> let's kind of keep that consistently for, for the routines as well. So with the inception and, and bringing in the in-house plans, same thing. Unless you're only doing that bare minimum, because mm -hmm. I'm assuming, and correct me, Teresa, you are the expert in when it comes to it, even with in-house, it does not cover everything and the whole comprehensive treatment. No. And, and in fact, it's definitely, I mean, there's a percentage off, it's, which is still a pretty pricey amount. I mean, let's be honest, we're both in the field. You used to be an endo. Endo is expensive. Endo is yeah. very expensive. Yeah. And restorative is expensive. And endo is right. not 100% rate either. Right. I mean, my mom, 
just had a tooth that fell out because they did endo on it and the bone just kept progressing and she flosses like crazy. It's just not a guarantee. With that being said, we tend to think because we do presentations of 5,000, 10,000 that, you know, this is not that bad. But I always keep in mind that if somebody said to me, oh, it's going to be 5,000 a day, I would be like, get out. Like my first reaction is like, get out of here. Like, then it's like, okay, I need to get this done. I mean, to your point, I was sharing with you earlier, my dog, I just, my oldest dog, I just took them in for a dental appointment and it was $1,500. And I was expecting it to be a pretty decent amount. But even then my heart just kind of went, oh, gosh, you are a very expensive dog and you're you're the most diva dog I have. This is ridiculous, you know, but, <laughs> but he's worth it. The monthly payment part. Let's talk about that because that really is a consumer behavior that has been around for a while, but unless someone points it out, I think, I don't think it's obvious to a lot of dental treatment coordinators. So to my coordinators that are listening, you know, this might be known to you, but if not, let's, let's ruminate on it a little bit. But if you're a manager or a doctor and you want to increase case acceptance, consider using this conversation as part of your training, because you're absolutely right. People don't think in dollar amounts. Like if somebody said to me that car is going to be 20,000, I'm not thinking, okay, let me do 20,000. I'm thinking, what is the monthly payment? Now, healthcare premiums, monthly mortgage premiums, mortgage monthly rent monthly, everything's monthly. And so outside of dental patients are trained. What is the monthly? So if you're going to break down a large amount into a monthly and then you're going to carry the debt, that's like the worst thing to do. And I've learned that myself. No one had to tell me that because I figured that out the first couple of times I had to chase a patient down for, for money. I remember walking into a restaurant there's a lady I just sent to collections and she's having a big old birthday party with tons of wine all around. And she was like, oh, hey, how are you? And that's when I really realized yeah. that patients will pay when they want to pay. And so I should have made it easier for her to pay instead of sending her one statement a month and then praying. It would have been so much better for me to present care credit. And But I was a baby manager. I didn't know anything back then. Not much has changed, Teresa. I mean, we still see quite a bit of that. And I want the offices to start thinking. I actually had a dentist. He actually told me one time, he goes, you know who I actually am okay with doing in-house financing with? The patients I don't ever want to see. Mm, interesting. I would do it like a couple months. I know they're never going to come and I know they're not going to pay. And I'm okay with that instead of me firing them. And just so get out, get want, lost. This, somebody once said, like, if you ever want to have a relative that you don't ever want to see, just loan them money. You'll never see them again. <laughs> this and is very true. Same thing. And here's the thing. I do think that most patients, they have good intentions. They want to do the right thing. They want to get the treatment that was recommended. You know, we all like to pay our bills on time. Nobody, Mm -hmm. at least I would like to think that, that there are majority of us like want to be that person, but then life takes over. And that is what you're not planning for. To my world does not revolve around what a dental office is doing. My Mm -hmm. life revolves around my family. So if something comes up here and if I have to pay a hundred dollars to a dental office, that may not be. And I, I'm trying to remember where this was the study then like out of the 40 things that was on part of a survey at one point in time and people were asked in the order of priority how would you pay so of course you know the mortgage payment the car payment those were the top one two three Mm -hmm. Uh, dentist ranked 37 or 38 out of 40 or something like that i'm gonna say phone has got to be top five too like people are going to pay their phone bill before they pay my bill when i lecture and i talk about What's the percentage that you think patients are going to pay their bill if you let them walk out? Like if you don't collect their co-insurance at the time of service, what's the likelihood that you're going to get that paid? And everybody's like, oh, 80%, 70%. I'm like, no, this yeah. is as simple as it gets. It is 50-50. They are yeah. either going to pay it or they're not. I don't yeah. care what stats you give me. They yeah. don't want to pay it. They're not going to pay it. And if I don't have a social security number, a driver's license, a third-party financing account, if I don't see them again, it, honestly, it's shame on me at that point. Well, and that's where I think we, and I talk, when we talk to our dental teams, why are you making it harder for yourself and for the patient? It's not like they only have one thing to do. I know mm-hmm. you were ran an office for a long time. I don't think you only walked in and say, okay, all I have to do is just schedule and confirm patients today. Oh, that is all I do. What a blessing that would have been. Right? I don't think there is a dentist out there who says, all I'm going to be doing is just the clinical stuff. I have nothing to worry about. Mm-hmm. So, you already have so much. Why would you want to be the bank? If somebody like us who 
this is all we do. This is all we do is mm -hmm. patient financing. And we've been doing it for 30 something years. Even we have patients who don't pay us, but we have systems and checks and balances in place. You as a healthcare provider is what you should be focusing on. It's about the patient experience because I'm sure, Teresa, when you sent that letter out, that statement out that you owe, mm -hmm. for the most part, it's not the patient like, oh my gosh, such a great experience. I get that letter every month from her. She <laughs> is so awesome. Because it takes away from that patient experience. Even though I may have had a great experience, it's just when it talks about money or you owe me this or this, that's where it starts to kind of chip away. So why even get into that? Just make it easy, make it part of the process, give them the option. If the patient decides they don't want to pay, it's between the patient financing company and the patient. You, you still got to be that hero to who helped them get healthier. Nobody's going to discuss that with, with you. The patient doesn't know that you know anything about that. So there's more to it than just, I would rather just save some money. And I'm sure if we did some study, and I'm sure there are doctors who have already done some calculation around it, if in-house patient financing worked, we would have been out of business very, 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 very long time ago. Yeah, for the sure. That I see it working is in the ortho offices. But then again, I have to go to the office every month. That's a different business model for business sure. Model. Just side question here. Say a patient doesn't want to pay you, you can report and that goes on their credit is your effect softened even? Because I think now the credits for medical bills, they don't count against your credit score as much if you ding them for not paying their bill. I don't know exactly how that works. Yeah, I, we're kind of in the air about this. I remember reading that like if I report somebody for bankruptcy, it's not that big of a deal. Like yeah. it doesn't count as much when it used to. And patients, once patients clued in on that, they were like, oh, forget medical bills. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but fortunately, and I know at what point in time we had and I can check, double check on the numbers. At one point in time, we had like over 80 something percent of our patients, they paid it off in time. Oh, that's great. Okay. So there's something to be said. And that kind of goes back to what I was saying. I think we all want to do the right thing. We just kind of find ourselves asking for $2,000 up front versus $100 over the next 20 months is two very different things. So we found that our patients pay. Yes, things happen. Financial things happen. We can't control that. Nobody can control that. But for the most part, that's why... I always say for you to have good experience, for your patients to have good experience, present them the option, let them fit what works best for them. And here's the thing, not everyone is interested in deferred interest or what quote unquote is like interest free. Right. Yeah. They're more about what is my payment. You said it earlier, you know, the car, it's not about 20,000. It's about my budget is $200 a month. Now I may get a used luxury car or a brand new, not a luxury car. It's yeah. more about that. It's how much you can afford. I mean, if you go to the jewelry store to buy a ring or a bracelet or something, you can sign up and finance it. And they do gangbusters there with that. Yeah. I mean, they do a lot of business there. So there's no shame in having to finance the work. I don't think people realize they can necessarily do that at all offices. You all are in vet. That's one of your verticals. And just yeah. having to pay Odie's bill, they texted me the amount. First of all, they texted it to me and I have to pay it before I go in and pick up this dog. Like, can you believe that? If I can do that, that's amazing. Like yeah. I should just implement that across the board. Like just text before you come in, then we'll touch your teeth, but that's, yeah. can't do it. Here's the thing is that on that text, there was no option for break this up into five, break this up into three. I was actually annoyed that the care credit wasn't on there because I know they offer it. So we're going to, I have to turn them in and have you guys talk to them. There was one, one option, pay your bill. That was how they handled it. And this is what I hear a lot. Offices will say, but patients are going to expect to do this. They're going to expect to do that. They won't like when I tell them about this. Okay, but it's your office. So no patient's going to like when you ask them for money. I mean, who likes when they're asked for money? That can't be part of your fear. You have to act like you've been doing this all day since you woke up and got into the office that you've just had your hand out wanting a care credit card, a virtual credit card, a MasterCard visa. Give me the cash. That's what you have to pretend. Yeah. <laughs> With new people that are starting in the offices, I think they're reserved. They're not quite sure how to ask for money because they've never really had to do that. And I've always said that my two best hires were from the jewelry yeah. industry. Jean, who took my place, she used to sell jewelry. Raina, who's my best friend, and, and she worked with me for a long time. She sold jewelry. So when asking for money, they were like, $2,000, whatever. Like that was no big deal to yeah. them. 
It was yeah. great. So when you're training your new person, or if you're new and you're trying to get your courage up, you have to do it over and over again. That's the only way to get comfortable. And even if you present them two or $3,000, they need to break it up and maybe they need to do the third-party financing. At least you've given them an option. And what I hear all the time, Samir, is I feel like I force them into it. And that's, wow. that's not a good feeling. So it does take practice. It, nobody's great at asking for money the first time. It's just not that way. It is. So interestingly, yes, you are absolutely right. I mean, that nobody likes to, at least majority of the people are, they don't wake up one morning. It's like, oh, I can't wait to start collecting money from people. and asking Oh, them. I, I don't yeah. know, Samir. Yeah. I would love to go around collecting people's yeah. money. But in this situation, I see what you mean. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we actually have tools and resources just for that reason making it simple, making it consistent, making it easy for the team member and for the patient. Mm -hmm. It literally spells it out. Teresa, your investment today is 5,000. Your benefits should cover 1,500. Your portion is 3,500. And then it, all they have to do is like literally look at this customized form for that patient and read right through it. We take check, credit card, or cash. Mm -hmm. If you pay cash, we offer cash courtesy adjustment. We accept all major credit cards. And then they have the payments broken down. Or we can do a lot of our patients like to pay over the period of time. If that's the case, we can do it for $150 a month or $89 a month. What works best for you? It's visual. It's there. It's consistent. I don't have to worry about it because that's one of the things you always have to be careful when offices do in-house patient financing. You do for one, you do it for everyone just mm -hmm. from the banking mm -hmm. box because you just right. acted like a bank. So you need to follow those rules. This one simple document literally has I've seen many, many, many times, just kind of ease that process to your point. I always tell offices when they say like, well, you want me to push care credit or you want me to force care credit. No, I absolutely do not want you to do that. I would rather you not offer care credit at all. I want you to give that as an option. And mm -hmm. here's the way to do that. So if they are in care credit network, they already have these tools and resources available to them for free. They just need to contact their rep. They can go online, they can log into their account, they have help around them to help them with those conversations. Make it easy, make it consistent, and you'll be amazed. You don't have to be a financial wizard to have a conversation. You don't have to be a super slick salesperson. I know it's like the bad S word to be used in a general <laughs> office. Right. It's all about giving that genuine, honest, upfront, consistent conversation. And, and that would help them have that conversation a lot. There's a couple rules that I have when I teach these conversations. The first one is the patient is not focused on you at all. A lot of times we go in and we think, okay, maybe I said that stupid. They can hear the quiver in my voice. They can see I'm nervous. Oh my gosh, I'm sweating so badly. Like the patients do not care. They right. just don't care. If you're sweating and it's disgusting, maybe, but really okay. they don't care, right? Okay. The second piece of that, and this is the most important piece, is when you said which one would you like to take advantage of or what, what works best for you? Then you need to just shut up, please shut up, shut up. And this is a learned skill because it's not yeah. comfortable to be quiet with somebody yeah. else you don't know in the room. It's very yeah. awkward. So you have to be very comfortable with this. But when you tell a patient, when you drop this bomb on a patient of how much it's going to cost, they are going through that whole monthly thing. They're going mm -hmm. through how much is it going to cost and wow, this really hurts, but does it hurt that much? That's going to go through their head. You yeah. have to let all that go through their head. So what I say to them is to pretend to be writing in a chart. What I would say is, I just gave you a lot of information. Take a look at this. I need to write some stuff down, actually, that I forgot. Yeah, I and that. then I go over there and I write down whatever it is that, you know, I'm scribbling, right, making dinosaur cartoon characters, yeah. whatever. You know, after a minute or two, I turn back to them. Did you have any questions? And I'm not rushing them because if yeah. they see I'm doing something else, then they kind of relax. Because if you stare at them the whole time, how awkward is that, right? Yeah. They are not thinking about you. They're not judging you. They're so worried about their teeth. They're actually afraid you're judging them yeah. because their teeth may be just jacked up. Okay. Yeah. So get that out of your head and then let them think for crying out loud. And I think the follow-up is one thing that, you know, I actually don't talk about this enough in my classes and I really need to start including more. The follow-up piece is really important. If somebody decides to not move forward, you need to either email them or contact them. There needs to be some sort of follow-up. And that's why you said all this stuff is on the treatment plan report, but nobody, nobody does it. And 
now that you're short staff, nobody's really doing it. But there are people, there are companies out there that will actually work your treatment plan for you and schedule. And, you know, as long as you do your due diligence, I have good recommendations for you. I'm not going to send you anybody that's kind of shady. But if you need people to do that, because nobody else is in your office to do it, yeah. then that's something that, that you need to look into. Yeah, I always worry that people were like, wow, she really bumbled that. And then I realized they don't, they just don't care. Yeah. It's not yeah. all about me, Samir. <laughs> I know, I know. I, I like to think that some days too, but I get told very often it's not about you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think Kareen and Norman are, are very similar in that. Yeah. They like to keep us in check, right? <laughs> Let me pivot a little bit because I was at one of your meetings and I was fascinated because y'all brought in a speaker from the vet industry. Uh I did not realize how different the employee makeup is over there. Not, Not job duties. I know they have different job duties. The speaker was saying when you are trying to connect with a vet employee, a vet manager, they're not dental people. And it was kind of disappointing because then she started saying like, they're very empathetic and they feel a lot. And I was like, what the heck? Or am I a robot? Like, what does that mean? But what she said made a lot of sense. Can you tell me the difference between a vet employee and a dental employee or what she, she said, not what it is for sure. What she was talking about is not only just from the the true empathy. I'm not saying that our dental teams don't have empathy, but Mm -hmm. now think about an empathy towards a person versus an animal. It's very, very different. So the employees, they go not only above and beyond, but it's their whole thought process is more about their patient, which is the the animal, the the dog or the cat or whatever. When they present the treatment, they're not worried, okay, is the owner going to have to pay $1,500? They're like, you need to pay it. You need to pay it. (laughs) It's about their life. I'm not saying that that's how they use it, but the focal point is that person or that animal, not the person. Werewolves got to go somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so it's a very different, and, and I'm sure everybody has experience when they go in, the look and the feel of how they work. I mean, they are more comfortable with the patient, the animal, than they are with the human being that brought them in. That's um, what I learned is that they, yeah. they actually seek out the vet field because they don't like people. Yeah. So they want to go help animals because people are a lost cause. They'd rather go help the animals. And so you get a bunch of people want to help animals and then they end up actually having the most difficult conversations. Their conversations with their clients are way harder than any that I've ever had. I've never had to say to a patient, do you want us to put you down? Would you like to see our room? That's very nice. And, you know, we'll make it. And they have to have really really hard conversations. And the lady was saying that they don't realize that a lot of times and they're not going to leave the field. They just have to adapt. And so thank God there are options where they can finance it because what is it like 300, $400 every time you walk in pretty much. Yeah. And that's what we end up seeing. And a lot of discounts given. Okay. Not only just the employees, but also the veterinarian themselves. You know, I mean, think about it. $1,500 you said for your dog. A lot of people would say $1,500. I can get a brand new dog for $1,500. Yeah, oh, I don't I need. could. And yeah. when he was whining last night at four, I thought that. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. I'm just I'm <laughs> kidding. I love him. <laughs> yeah, that's the switch. And that's where I've heard this before, where you know, when a client, which is the owner of the animal, if they're like, oh, you know, I mean, it's too much, or I would rather just get a new dog or something like that. They go into discount conversation because they uh-huh. really want to save that. Yeah. animal to them it's much different than it's a dog and i can always get a new dog i I, this dog was free i got him from a shelter and i gotta pay two thousand dollars for this so it's a different conversation now you know i'm not saying that we don't do it so much so in the downside of it but i think that that element of the animal is Mm -hmm. very can't speak for themselves you feel you know i have had dental offices tell me many a times that they don't like to offer care credit they want to get their treatment done first because they've had many times where the patient will call and say, yeah, I was going to get it done, but I need to take my dog to the vet and I end up using my money for FIDO or using mm. the credit for FIDO or using my cash for FIDO. Us as humans, we will put an animal's need usually majority of the times ahead of ours. So, and that kind of goes hand in hand with the teams that the veterinarians employ. It's the same thing. To your point about people are going to pay for what they want. 
mm-hmm. conversation I was having when I had my call with Ashley, our new rep, she comes from the cosmetic side. Oh, yes. So yeah. we were talking, you know, boob jobs, um, liposuction yeah. and butt implants and all this kind of stuff. And she was saying, yeah, they're they're busy. They're really busy. I mean, they can't do as many because of, I guess, COVID concerns, but the demand for all that stuff has not diminished. Is that one industry that when you look at your vertical, you're just like, ah, it's going to keep going on its own. I mean, do you have to put as much effort in that vertical as you do in the others? You know, and so, and actually when the world opened back up for us, cosmetic was our fastest that came back on track. Wow. Like, wow. They were one of the first ones who were starting to perform over 100%, pretty quick, right? When the markets opened. But again, think about it. Those are not the, any of those uh, the treatments that you mentioned, you know, mm-hmm. between the implants and the lipo. You're not talking about three, four, five dollars $500. Again, no. those are thousands upon thousands. And their team member, they don't think twice about it. Let's have a conversation. Give them the option. And yes, some people can make uh, an argument for, oh, well, you know, would they walk in because that's what they wanted? Well, yes, but that did not change the aspect that it was still going to be five or ten or fifteen thousand dollars in doing that. And they knew that before they even pursued it, because usually somebody with the intent of doing cosmetic surgery, they know it's not going to be covered by insurance, so yeah. it's not even part of it, and they know it's not going to be, like you said, one or two thousand yeah. dollars. Typically, a couple thousand dollars, and there's yeah. anesthesia, there's you know follow-up visits and all that kind of stuff. So that expectation is already set. Here's us in dentistry. Many offices are setting the expectation that, well, you have $1,500, so let's look at doing that much. And that's still disappointing. I still hear it. And I'm still, you know, working with offices to kind of, you know, trade that perspective. But the cosmetic side doesn't do any of that. They're just like, yeah, here, here, here's how much it is. We'll do a consult, but, you know, it's going to be this much. And I don't know if we need to change that around and just make that expectation that, it's not going to be cheap. This is not a care credit question at all. Third party, it's more like Teresa to Samir, but should we change the expectation that two free cleanings is ideal? I mean, should we make it that you've got to have some skin in the game? I mean, should we start talking to patients about that? Yeah, uh, that's a great question. Like I said, I, I still do think that patients want to get the work done. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately for the same thing, you know, dentistry is looked as elective and unless you make it attractive, I have no reason to. And for most patients, their level of understanding whether they need the treatment that's been recommended is literally sometimes based on, is it hurting, bleeding, or broken? Mm. And if it doesn't fit any one of those three, it's not an urgent need. So how do you change that expectation? The only way to change that expectation is, again, you said it in the beginning, was to have a system where it's consistent. So once you kind of set that, now I know walking in what to expect and what are my options? Whether it's full treatment, partial treatment over the period of next four months or two years. So, Okay. So let's switch to a more global, national global view. All of the podcasts, the economics and health policy podcasts that I listen to, they're discussing a possible, I mean, inflation. They're discussing the effects of inflation on the healthcare industry. And of course, that slams me right back into what we were talking about when we did have the recession early 2000s. My experience back then was we saw a lot of cosmetic dentistry, which was doing full mouth or full quad, not even quadrant, like full mouth or arch or whatever cosmetics. You saw a lot of that go away. People started doing the bread and butter, the tooth by tooth or the quadrant dentistry. If we are going down that path again, and again, this is what I'm, I want to prepare for, not that we're going to get there, but just in case, what do you think helped offices survive that first you know, when they were kind of getting hit over and over again by patients saying, I can't afford this, or I can't do this, I lost this insurance. What would you do in an office to kind of prepare for that? It's the same thing as we call it, like, what does your pipeline look like? Is your business exclusively, and your yes, everybody would like for it to be a cash-based business. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you look at any successful business, irrespective of which industry you look at, it's always been a good mix of it. There's some cash, there's some credit card, there's some financing of some kind. So what I saw, and that's how we saw practices who come out of the recession or even coming out of the pandemic who come out faster than the other are the ones who had their, not to toot our own horn, but they had the patient financing side from very beginning Mm -hmm. because they had a 
group of patients, they had the patient base who were not only, oh, they only pay cash or credit card. Okay. They had a good mix of patients who still had pay a credit credit card with them and they were still getting needing the treatment. Their family members were needing the treatment and they can still come in and get the treatment instead of, now I got to start fresh. I had one office manager tell me one time, it's like, you know, when she presents it, she tells the patient, yes, the economy is good right now. I still want you to apply and have it and reserve because things change pretty dramatically. Oh, we have that funding. This is something you said to me right before the pandemic. I don't know if you had a crystal ball or something, but you had said we should have people applying because that way, if something happens, they will have something on file. So yeah. if you're talking to somebody and you know it's going to be a multi-year treatment plan and they're accepting, even though they don't necessarily need it right now, how long does that stay open? Say they apply, are you doing another check before you run the first transaction? How does that work? So majority of the time, it's about, if I'm not mistaken, I can check again. It's about 18 months of inactivity is then we close the account. Okay. But even then we send the email out and the letter out and the communication out to say, hey, Teresa, you have a care credit card, not been used, blah, 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 giving you an opportunity to say, even if you need to go and buy dog food, just Mm -hmm. kind of keep some kind of activity on there and then it's good and then it goes on. And this is the other part where I, and I have found over the years, we are very limited. We look at the patient and that's all who we think about. Mm. If Teresa is coming in, I don't want to offer patient financing. It's $3,000. I want her to pay. Well, let's expand our horizon. It's not just Teresa. Teresa has a son. Teresa has a husband. They may also need the treatment. I just open those doors instead of just being so siloed and just being so tunnel vision about that patient. So all the more reason you want that kind of patient base because it's not only just, okay, we may be done with Teresa's treatment, but now because of the options we've given her, Teresa may say, hey, by the way, no one needs to come in and have the dental work done or Norman needs a crown that your mom who just lost her teeth. Oh my gosh. So it's- Or I need a boob job, Samir, maybe that's it. Maybe I just go complete (laughs) selfish and just do something for me. <laughs> you were back to it's all about you. That's right. I have to do that sometimes because I forget. <laughs> That's what I see. That's what I would recommend. And the, the question may come like, what is that number? Like, how many patients do you want? Do you want all our patients be on care credit? A good number. And we've, and this is again my personal experience, and I've seen it the numbers over and over and over again. A good way to know if you're u- utilizing a patient financing, whether it's care credit or somebody else is that 10% of your patients should be applying. Okay, active patients. Active patients should be applying. So if you see 20 patients a day, you should have at least one to two applications submitted a day for the credit line. Mm-hmm. Now, you obviously can't control who gets approved and who does not, but you can control who applies. So if you make it part of the system, make it part of the process. Because what happens is on the other side of it, so that's the 10%. So keep the number 10% in your mind that's how many patients should be applying. That's the applications you should be sending to whichever patient financing company you're utilizing. Because when you do that, a healthy number of your overall business, the overall over-the-counter collection side of it, 20% of your overall collection should come from a third party. That's a very healthy spot to be. 15 to 20%, that's a good place to be. I concur completely. Yeah, by looking at tons of numbers over the years, it's definitely a healthier cash flow. And it tells me that that office is actively trying to keep money off of their books. There you go. And so now if you were to look at pandemic or recession or inflation, you're set pretty well to keep that business going because Mm -hmm. people who have those retail cards, they will continue to go and shop there. And same thing that goes for the healthcare as well. If a patient has that healthcare card, healthcare credit card, you will see that patient more compliant. Your cancellation Mm -hmm. and no-shows go down. The conversation that it, the amount of time it takes for conversation, for treatment presentation goes drastically down. You're not sitting there and trying to figure out. It's literally a lot of the time it is your portion is 3,500 of air credit. Oh yeah. You know what? Let's just do 18 months and get it over with or whatever, whatever you offer in your practice. So, right. so, so there's like multiple places that you hit and, and as the pandemic have come back, you know, they're not seeing as many patients as they were before. Mm-hmm. Uh, the timing, the, the buffer in between patients on all that. So the more productive and, and, and smart you can be around how you schedule that and who, who you see, 
could be a, a key element in how fast you come out of a recession or, or handle inflation or, or pandemic. So the one thing that you said that I kind of latched onto was you have to decide how busy do you want to be? What does that look like? And yeah. I think we all kind of took a look at what our expectations are. Some offices, some doctors that were like just cranking and loving being busy, they realized this sucks. I need to be home more. And yeah. As far as financial guidelines go, you know, I typically recommend that you take a look at what you offer, not what the patient sees, but what you as a practice offer. You know, I'd really like to take a look at that at minimum um, every two years, but really every year is a great time to take a look at what you offer. But anytime something big comes up, like a recession, like we go into inflation or inflation rises drastically or a pandemic then you need to say, okay, we need to pull this out. Do we get more lenient? Do we get more strict? And you, it, it's your office. I can't tell you, you have to know your office. I know during the recession, the offices that were in the Detroit area, they really didn't have much to do. They, there's nothing they could do to save their offices because the plants closed down, jobs were lost. If people had lines of credit or open credit cards, I mean, yes, they got their work done, because they knew they could get it done and then they just could, would deal with the monthly payments later. Yeah. And that's really the only thing. I mean, man, I heard some really bad stuff when all those plants closed down. When a local economy shuts down, it's so sad. So sad. And, and, that's, and those are things that you and I can't control and office can't control. Uh, but what we can control is how we set ourselves up to get out of it as fast. And it's not about oh, how many patients will be able to accept the treatment? I'm more worried about that. I want to be able to get paid. But it's it's more from a community standpoint. You know, Let's put ourselves and our patients in a position to where they are not having to pick and choose of what is important, but they can actually make a decision based on the information they have received versus what I'm able to do today. Yeah. Um, All right. Well, I know we're going to wrap up, but before we do, do you mind talking to them about the quick screen? You guys are like in love. Every rep I've talked to is like, oh, the batch screen. Yeah, talk about yeah. that. So oh, can you yeah. just it's... share what's going on there? <laughs> so there's batch quick screen and quick screen. I'll give you like a 30,000 foot view on, on what that means. So one of the biggest objections I would hear from our, our uh, dental teams is the reason they don't offer patient financing, whoever it may be, let's say care credit in this case, is because they are uncomfortable in having that conversation of, possibly the patient not getting approved by care credit. And then it makes it for a very uncomfortable conversation. It's embarrassing for the patient. It's embarrassing for the team member. We've had what we call quick screen. It is an easy way of knowing beforehand which patients will get approved by care credit or a credit card. How many, what percentage of patients or who those patients are going to be. So if you were to run a quick screen, it's free. It doesn't run patient's credit. It's just based off of patient's name, the amount you're looking for, and address. It's mm -hmm. public information. So once you put that and it comes back as pre-approved or quick screened, there's a very high percentage of chance, I'm talking like in the high 90s, that that patient, if they were to apply for a care credit credit card, they will get approved. There's a very high probability. So now that takes away from, from that discomfort of who should we offer the patient financing to. Right. It, could be so highly functioning offices. That's what they would do. They would run a quick screen on their patients. Somebody would sit in the evening and pull up the chart for next day and then do it. It should not take more than 15, 20 seconds per patient to do it. Yeah, it's very simple. simple. And then it kind of changes the next day. You have an idea of how many patients coming in, which ones are new, which ones were already pre-approved, who already may have a credit card with care credit already. It helps with the conversation. It helps with, not that I'm saying that your level of experience and your level of service will change, but the mindset changes on how can we present the value and create that sense of urgency for the patient to move oh, forward. For sure, so, yeah. You, I mean, you're already framing it in a good way if you have that little bit of information. Yeah. Absolutely. That is just called a quick screen. Now, batch quick screen, it's even like steroids on steroids. So. <laughs> The office doesn't have to do anything. It is available through either Revenue Well, we are integrated with Revenue Well, or Open Dental, if they have an Open Dental as a practice management system. It's a click of a button, the software does it all, and you get a report the next morning which patients are pre approved, which patients already have a card, which patients need to do an application. Got Nobody it. has to do anything, it's already done. So it's called a batch quick screen, it does it in batches. If you don't have Revenue Well or if you don't have Open Dental, 
you still have the capability. It's just a manual process, which again, like I said, shouldn't take more than 10, 15 seconds per patient. Is there anything wrong with me using this as a dating screening? Like if I'm single, (laughs) can I check out their credit? Like, because if I was a cop, I would absolutely be looking up whether or not they got warrants and stuff like that. Like, how's his credit score? Because maybe he's not worth it. (laughs) I think there may be a need that we have not discussed there yet. (laughs) can be used by the office to know, okay, if they were not pre-approved by a bank, a company yeah. who does this for a living, should I really offer credit line? Well, that's, that's what I always wondered is if you're not having that kind of conversation or you're not using a third party, you're really hoping that patient hasn't skipped town on five other dentists before they got to you. I've always been very wary dealing with patients who don't get approved because, you know, and then you look at their body language and this comes with experience, but you know, if they don't get approved and then they're just like, Oh yeah, I'll take care of that. Oh yeah. Let's set up these payments. I'm like, I see you coming a mile away. Yeah. That's part of it. I think that's where most people don't realize it. Patients, at least what I've seen and I've been told by offices, it's more the fear is in our mind, the person who's presenting it because someone who doesn't get approved are rarely shocked. It's true. They know. In fact, they're shocked if they do get approved. If you have somebody who's shocked that they got approved, you still need to watch them. (laughs) Again, it comes with experience. And I will offer my reps services. You need to do like a a role play. Everybody hates it. If you want to do a role play, Mm -hmm. you know, verbal skills. I know there's tons of resources that we can offer. We have partners like yourself that have such long history and relationship with and, and documents and, and articles that you've helped, you've written for us yeah. and are written for the profession. There are, there's services and there's help available to them. So it doesn't cost them anything, but just kind of making it as like a one full pact, but yeah, use, they can use that as a, a good way of knowing should we or should we not offer patient financing or at least in-house patient financing to this patient if they were to use batch quick screen or quick screen not that it's the be all end all but mm-hmm. it's a great place to start it's a great place to to at least know what does the day look like what can we do which patients can we for sure help and and money may we have a better way of knowing that money may not be is a hurdle that we can easily help overcome right so get out of your own way people <laughs> you know when a credit card doesn't work in retail, nobody, like, they don't look at you like, oh my gosh, they're like, where's your other card? You don't like, page your bills, have you? Yeah. Nobody do you have cash? That. Or the best is when they're like, and I, this has never happened to me, knock on anything, but best yeah. is when they're like, we have to take your card. And yeah. I've had to do that. I worked retail. I worked in a record store, worked in a candle store and a couple other places for college and high school. And having to take somebody's credit card, I mean, they should have warned me. They should have given me a vest. They should have given me all sorts of <laughs> training because it is not normal for somebody's credit card to be taken. Very emotional moment. Yeah. Yeah. So asking for $5,000 is nothing, but you know. Well, I appreciate that you shared all this information and we're going to have a bunch of stuff in the show notes. You're going to have that number that they can call to find their rep and and I'll put information on how to find you and uh, and care credit to all of this. You have so many resources. Some of them are from me. Yes, but you have a ton of people that have contributed. And there's always, if you're going to see them at a booth somewhere, they always have those giveaways. And so you should check them out. My book may be one of them. You never know where you're going to run into a free book running around. Well, any last parting thoughts, my dear friend? We said they started the conversation with the whole part of the education. That's where we flourish. That's where it's a change of behavior, change of mentality, change of giving our team and our doctors the opportunity to have a better conversation. Whether care credit becomes part of the solution or not is really, and honestly, I can say that out loud, is not the be all end all. It's not the end game. It's more about how can we help your team and you and your your patients accept the treatment that's been recommended. Accept the treatment and not use the treatment recommendation as a as a menu item of a la carte items to be picked from. So, and it could be that it could be if there's a you're looking at how do I get out of a lot of the, the insurance plans that I'm on? There's a way. We just need to set up a plan. I say to use our reps and a resource as your resource. They have wealth of information for the area they are in, you are in, because they call on hundreds of offices. Mm-hmm. And, and they, they're happy to share best practices. They're happy to share 
what may help you and your teams. So, so again, like I said, it's not always about whether care credit financing will be used in that office or not, but if we set the systems in place, I think it's a domino effect. And I appreciate the opportunity to come on and, and have a little chat with you. I've always, as your handler, I have enjoyed my role a lot. <laughs> And I look forward to doing many, many more years of those. I'll send that information over to you. They can always reach out and send an email to me. I'd be more than happy to connect them to their, uh, to their rep, who that is, make personal introduction if need be. Uh, Otherwise, like I said, there is a text number that they can text to and request who the rep is and their rep will contact them. Another reason to reach out to your rep is to find out what's going on in your area. That's what I, whenever she came in, I would be like, Hey, What's going on? Who's hiring? Who's not? Who's getting ready? Who's looking for a new job? Who's killing it? Tell me what they're doing. I had so many questions, you know, but it was good. It was, that's how you get to know. I mean, not just care credit reps. Some of my best friends in dentistry were reps that have been very open and sharing about what's going right in other offices. And they're, they're there to help you. Dear listeners, you all know, I appreciate you so much until the next time. Thanks for tuning in. We're all super busy, so thank you for making time for me today. The show notes will have any links that we referenced in this episode. You can also find links for my book and for my live events and webinar schedule. I speak often around the country on management and insurance issues. Come hang out with me in one of my classes. I promise you'll laugh and learn.